morning, everyone. Uh, why don't you turn around and greet one another? And as we do, let's turn to Isaiah 61. all the difficulty, you will know that God is with you. And, and you know that sign, a, 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 a baby will be born to a virgin, and this is the sign that God is with you. He will be known as Emmanuel, God with us, and, and that sense. And that's how Isaiah and the story of the coming king begins. God is going to send you a sign in the midst of your difficulty. And I don't know if you've ever found yourself in life situations where it's like, God, have you abandoned me? Have you, have you given up on us? You know, is there a future? And, and, and if so, what is that? And I don't know if you've ever felt like that a wee bit. Uh, but I have to be honest, over the last couple of years, I felt a wee bit like that on bad days. Um, in fact, uh, during the week I woke up and I pulled the duvet over my head and hid. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had days like that where you do that, just as an expression of where you feel you're at. And, and, and you kind of wonder, God, are you, are you with us? And, and as a church, we've been facing, a, as we've come out of COVID, uh, we've been facing a lot of transition, a lot of challenges, a lot of pressures. I mean, uh, we, we, one of which is, is financial. And as a church, the, all the transitions and all the consequences of COVID where for two years, or more than two years, you didn't have the normal functioning of the church. And, 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 and you know, we do tons in community. And, and I love the fact that we do community, but the, the, the community isn't self-funding. <laughs> you know, hopefully if you come to church, you might 
give something to the offering and that kind of helps that. But, but in terms of all that work we do in community, it's not self-funding. And, and the problem is if the church is in transition, what happens to your community work when you've got people and you're committed and things? And, and it, it, I felt a little bit like Hezekiah at points where you just think, God, are you with us? Um, anyway, this is a long story uh, to, to get to the, in, in the summer we, we were facing some of the realities um, and, and, you know, just grappling with, Lord, how do we, how do we solve all these things? that we're facing as a church community. And Alec, our treasurer, um, he, he said, you know what, I know a lady who's just retired. She's called Harry, which is confusing. But, but, uh, and uh, she might be willing to work for the church and, uh, and help us with funding. She's not a Christian. One of the great things is I think God works through non-Christians. I was talking about that this week. The kingdom of God is not limited to the church which is great. And uh, anyway, we'll, that's another sermon series, okay? And, uh, but, but, but Harry, and, and she just gave up some time and started working. Uh, a friend of Alec, our treasurer, and she just started working. And, um, and, and anyway, through that, she started to help us facilitate um, applications and a whole load of work started to happen with individuals, uh, Mylene and her team and Alec and his team and just, you know, loads of stuff. And, and one of the really important grants that we were going for was from the Bank of Scotland. And, and, and basically, the monies from the Bank of Scotland, if they gave us this grant, it would, it would address a potential shortfall, a gap that we had in funding. That, that could be a bit of a brick wall. And uh, really, you know, an out, 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 out and outside chance in terms of getting this money. Anyway, the, the good news is that on Wednesday, Alec heard from the Bank of Scotland and they're giving us £119,000 over the next two years to sustain our work in the Haven and Mine. And, um, you know, I see this as a sign. I'm deluded, but I see a sign. You know, uh, I think it was the same day I was hiding under a duvet. You know, God saying, I'm with you. I have your future plan. Uh, same, I think, I'm not sure if it was either before or just straight after that. We then heard that Sterling Council was giving us 21000 for a warm space, which I think is one of the largest awards that they made to any agency within the town because they so see what we're doing and the importance of it in terms of it. So that was another thing that's come in. And, and again, you know, there will be a sign that will be given. The king is coming. And uh, so I just wanted to share that news with you as we start into this series looking at Isaiah. Uh, Anthony designed this series. Did we have the nice? Did we? So I've got, he's told me I've got to use prescribed overheads, which is nice. So, uh, so, uh, <laughs> so if you don't like the graphics, speak to him, okay? Nothing to do with me. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and so this morning's talk is entitled For the Brokenhearted, The King is Coming. And, uh, and, and it's rooted in Isaiah 61. And... It talks about this coming king, about the promise 
As I said, Isaiah is a situation where God's people are up against it and it looks hopeless and it looks like there is no future. And, and this promise, the king is coming. Unto you a child will be born and he will be called Emmanuel, God with you. God is going to give you a sign that he's going to move forward into that future. And, and then in Isaiah 61, the, the nature of that future is unpacked. And it's highly significant that in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was asked to preach, the passage he turned to was this passage. And he said, if you want to understand what biblical Christianity looks like, it looks like this. And, and, and uh, you know, people have said this is a Christian manifesto, but, but I think it is the essence of what Christianity and the expression of our faith has to look like because it is given so that we will preach good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives and release for the prisoners. He said, this is what it's about. It's, it's not ultimately about coming to church on Sunday mornings, although that's nice. And, and it's, it's not ultimately eating lunch together, although that's nice. It's, it's not ultimately singing songs together, although again, that's nice and, and necessary. No, it is about the brokenhearted. It is about those who are captive. It is about the prisoners. It is about the poor. This is the essence of what it means to work out Christ and this biblical mandate. And, and what Isaiah is saying, the king is coming to do this. And his kingdom, his people, are to be an expression of that same thing. What does it mean to be brokenhearted? Well, the, the, the word poor that is used there, where it talks about to preach good news to the poor, it means those who are afflicted. That's that's kind of the root of the word. It means those who are afflicted. It means those who are under some kind of oppression. You, you know, I, I mean, I, I want to ask this, but how many of us have felt oppression, you know, and, and used that word? You know, where we've been oppressed either by the circumstances that are around us, maybe by the wider society. Maybe it's been economic. Maybe you feel, maybe at this moment you feel oppressed by the economic challenges that we are facing. Maybe you've faced wrong choices and you've made bad choices and then you've reaped the consequences of those choices and it's felt like an oppression. Maybe you've found yourself being marginalized and put, pushed out from the mainstream. Maybe because you've never done anything. I have, last night... Um, I watched the movie Hidden Figures. Uh, about, I don't know if you saw it, but I think it was on, uh, was it maybe Channel 4? Uh, you probably can get it on catch up if you didn't. About black women in the NASA space program and a story of breaking through in terms of marginalization. You know, maybe you find yourself marginalized, nothing that you've done, but you've just find yourself marginalized. Or you find yourself written off. Or you find yourself broken, where you just feel, you know, life is in bits. Maybe you brought it on yourself, maybe you haven't, but there's a sense of crushed, betrayed, 
robbed of hope. You know, you are the afflicted. And what Isaiah is saying, these people, the oppressed, the afflicted, need to know the king is coming. The king is coming to pronounce release from captivity. You know, um, uh, we, we had a couple of weeks ago, we, we were hearing about CAP, Christians Against Poverty, and about the experience of debt, and, and how many people have that experience of debt and what it does. And, and you know, when, when uh, Fiona comes to staff meetings on Tuesday, and she tells us through the work of this church and through the work of CAP, another person is debt-free. Yeah, you can think, wow, that's life changing for someone. It's the lifting of affliction and oppression. And you know what? It's about the king is coming. It's about what Christmas is about. It's about the king coming to lift affliction. Not to oppress people, not to marginalize people, but actually to address the broken and the crushed and those who are robbed of hope and say, I've come to bring you freedom. Isaiah says, the king is coming and we have to declare it, we have to bind up, we have to comfort and we have to give. You see, Isaiah is saying some very controversial things here because he's suggesting that God is on the side of the afflicted. You know, one, one of the ways that you can often, t- you know, you can use the Bible in a hundred different ways. And, and throughout history, the Bible has been used. And, um, and people can make arguments for anything. In the 19th century, Christians in southern states of America used the Bible to justify slavery. And they argued very convincingly from the scriptures that slavery was okay. And, and you kind of think, how did they get there? And you know what? They were wrong. How could they have known they were wrong? Because if you find yourself on the side of the oppressor, rather than the side of the afflicted, you are not reading the Bible properly. You are not understanding what you are engaging with. And, and so if whatever you do in terms of your exegesis of the Bible is leading you to those conclusions, then your exegesis is problematic. Exegesis, I mean your reading of the Bible, sorry. Uh, but that, that's, it's, it's wrong. And, 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 and um, I, 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 I mean, some of you will know this story. I only realized this when, when I actually went to Israel. And I realized in terms of where I lined up on the questions that I was seeing in front of me. And, 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 and a realization that actually, you know, the side of the oppressed is the side on which God stands. And, 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 and we are called to do that. And, you know, that, that, that's in terms of socioeconomic. We're called to stand on the side of the oppressed. Now, this week, and uh, let's just be a little controversial just to keep you awake. But... You know, I, I had to cross the picket line this week. Something that, you know, maybe none of us have had to do, in, certainly in recent history. And, uh, and, and for some of us, certainly for me, 
for those that are old enough, you know, I took us, it took me certainly back to the days of the minor strikes and Margaret Thatcher and, and, and do, you, do you remember all that? And, and you know, and, and, you know I, I, was, I was probably part of, I was a very young man, very young man, all right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but you know the sense of oh the power of the unions do need to be broken and I was kind of there and, and then you know hearing the voices of guys like Arthur Scargill who weren't sympathetic characters you know saying you will destroy these communities you will destroy these livelihoods you will have this devastating effect on what you're about to do truth is history has proved he was right in what he was claiming not claiming he was right in what he did um, interestingly enough, Margaret Thatcher is now being recast as an ecological hero because she shut down coal in our country. Anyway, um, okay, you can have a chat about that over coffee. And, uh, but, but, um, uh, but, but here's the thing. You know, when I crossed that picket line, I was kind of thinking, what, what's my attitude here? I, I, I felt bad because I was crossing a picket line. But, you know, I, I began to think, into what is God's attitude? And, and, and the fact is, and I, again, I appreciate these are complex things, but do you know what? God is on the side of those who are socioeconomically marginalized and oppressed by things that are not just. And I was, um, I was going on to, to do a talk in a, a Presbyterian theologian called Thomas Chalmers. You'll see statues of him throughout Scotland. Thomas Chalmers didn't believe in taxes, but he believed that you had to address the poor. He believed that when we supported the poor and the marginalized, we had to do it in a way which empowered them and gave them dignity, not just pass them charity. And he believed that you shouldn't charge taxes of the rich. And he was saying, wow, what a Tory. He said, no. Um, he said, the rich should understand that in a godly commonwealth where Christian virtue is worked out, that they don't have to be made to pay taxes, that they understand their obligations to the poor and the marginalized. And that's the way it should work within a Christian commonwealth. While the poor are empowered, not handed money to, to do nothing, but empowered and discover dignity. You know, it was a great vision. It, it, it didn't work, but it was a very powerful vision for a while. And then, uh, so I've got very distracted here. And, and, and so there's a second socioeconomic thing. And again, we have to grapple with this. But, you know, if we find ourselves on the side of the oppressors and some of the economic injustices that occur in our world. And I, I notice that there's been a lot of talk about the World Cup. And I know you all came to church to get away from it. But, you know, just to throw another thing into the melting point. But there's very little talked about the immorality of the amount of money that football players are paid to chase after a ball. You know, well, nurses, teachers, well, those who work within social services and the care sectors are paid relatively, well, I, is it too controversial to say a pittance, but certainly not proportionate to the significance of the work that they do. And yet, a footballer. I mean, uh, you know, we all want England to win, I'm sure, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, you know, and, but really, is it proportionate? Is there justice here? You know, 
God is on, can we go to the, 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 the next slide, sorry. Next slide. Next slide. <laughs> We're a bit behind. There, there we go. You know, God is on the side of those who don't think they matter. You know, sometimes people come to church and they, you know, it's not just the socioeconomic thing. It's people who sit and they sit there and they say, do I matter? You know, am I really that significant? Do I matter to God? You know, do I actually count in the eyes of God? And the king is coming to say, you matter. That, that's the point. God is with you. Some people think they've been so bad, maybe you've made bad choices. Maybe you find yourself and it's, you, know, you have to hold up your hands and say, I did this. You know, it wasn't done to me. It wasn't because of socioeconomic things or other things. I made bad choices and I'm here. And you think God's abandoned me because of the choices I've made. And you need to know the king is coming so that God can be with you. You know, maybe you feel afflicted and abandoned by God. But Isaiah wants you to know that God is with you and he stands on your side. He stands with you and he's coming so that you know this. You know, one of the, the brilliant things in Christmas is the Magnificat, which is the song that Jesus' mom sings when she's told what God's about to do. And I don't know if you've ever paid close attention to the Magnificat, but it's such a radical statement. You know, they've got like Jesus' uh, mom, Mary, you know, and you see her in the pictures and then the Christmas card, meek and mild and all this and stuff like that. She was a militant, you know. She would be a pal with Arthur Scargill if you read this stuff. Listen to what she says. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from the thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty-handed. Wow. Just think about those words. That was Mary's response to the coming of the king. This is what the king is doing. It is a radical statement. And, 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 and we as a church and as a community are called to be responsive to this, to understand that when the king comes, he calls his people to stand on the side of the afflicted, to, of the poor, of the oppressed, of those who are marginalized, of those who are broken. That, that's why, you know, to be able to stand up and say, the Bank of Scotland is helping us do this. It is, is, is more than just, it's relief in terms of our finances. It's actually a declaration that we are living out what the king has called us to do here in Stirling. And, 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 and the, the, the idea is, and, and this is what Isaiah goes on to say, he's saying, when you see this, what you will see is you will see transformation. And, and he talks about beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, garments of praise instead of heaviness. He, he's, he's using an analogy here of, uh, of someone who is devastated with grief and worn down. And uh, some of you know, I mean, in this past year, we've seen tragedy in our own lives. And, 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 and you know, the, 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 the pain and the weight of grief. And, and uh, you know, the last thing you want to do is get up. I think the phrase, put your glad rags on and go out. 
and party. That's the last thing. And what Isaiah says is, you will instead of wearing ash, which was a sign of grief and bereavement, you'll wear a garland. You'll get your hair done and you'll put a garland on. He's saying you'll put on oil, you'll put on perfume instead of mourning. And you'll put on a garment of praise instead of heaviness. Because the king has come to stand on the side of the marginalized and the broken so that they know the wholeness and healing of God. And as they know that, beauty, ashes are changed to beauty. Mourning is changed to the oil of joy. And heaviness is changed to a garment of praise. It's what transformation is about. I, uh, I went back last week, last Saturday, to the funeral of a former minister of a church I was in. And uh, it was an amazing church. It was in Leith, in Edinburgh. And it encountered all kinds of social problems. And one of the, the women, one of the most exceptional things that happened in the few years I was there was a woman started to come along to this church. And uh, she, she had had the most traumatic experience that I can imagine anybody would have had. One night, she lived in Edinburgh. She went to bed. She had a loving husband and a child. And she woke up in the middle of the night, and the house was on fire. She got up to go to the door, and the floor gave way underneath her, and she fell through the floor and through the tenement. She was in a coma for almost a year. When she woke up out of the coma, she discovered that she had no legs. Her husband had gone off with an old woman because he never thought she was ever going to recover. And her son was in care. And her life was in ruins. Total ruins. And uh, she just did alcohol and barbiturates. She was in a sheltered housing complex because there was no hope. There was nothing. Everything had been robbed from her. She had had a good job and everything, and everything was robbed from her. And in that sheltered housing complex, somebody started a Bible study and just started sharing about the love of Jesus, that the King is coming. And uh, this woman started to come along and started to listen, and then slowly started to come along and, and listen in the church. And, and, and she got converted. And, and suddenly her life began to have hope. And she decided to find that hope, she would go to Stockton Prison and talk to some of the hardest prisoners in the Scottish prison system. She went. And, you know, I would get up to talk to them and everybody goes, you know, what's he know of life? Probably right. And then she would get up and talk. And she would stand there and everybody would listen. She decided to get baptized. And that night, we had 50 prisoners from Stockton Prison in our house. And she needed to be carried down into the baptistry on a specially designed thing. Two of those people were serving life sentences and two others were in for really horrendous crimes. And they took her into the baptistry and she was baptized. And as she came up, she declared, Jesus is Lord. The king is coming to replace beauty, to give us beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, garment of praise instead of heaviness. What does it mean for you and me? It means that we are called to preach to the poor, to the afflicted. We are called to be people who bring healing to the brokenhearted. We are called to set free the captives. And we are called to give hope. 
The king is coming. And that's the essence of Christmas. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we consider the words of Isaiah, Lord, that you would help us to think through the challenge of Christmas. Lord, help us not to cover it in tinsel and foil and presents and all these things, although good as these may be. But Lord, help us to understand the radical message of Christmas, that the King is coming with a radical agenda. Lord, help us to live out that radical agenda, to embody, Lord, that message of hope to the afflicted. Lord, I ask this in your name. Amen.